have a question for you. Do you ever feel invisible? Think about it for just a moment and, and maybe even think of a time. But do you ever feel invisible? See, I see um, people all the time who think that they're invisible. And let me just explain what I mean by that. It's not too deep or theological. I just mean that when I'm driving in my car, I see people next to me who think that they're invisible. Just this last week, um, I stopped at a stoplight and I looked over to my right and there beside me was a woman in her car who she was rocking out. She was having the dance party of all dance parties in her car and she did not care who was watching. Her windows were not tinted and she was just enjoying whatever song she was listening to. I could almost hear it. I was tempted to roll my window down and see if I could, but I didn't. And, and when she caught eyes with me and realized that I was watching her dance in her car, she was terrified, immediately stopped. Um, maybe you've, you've had an experience like this too. Maybe that person has been you and you feel invisible. Maybe you notice that the person in front of you at the stoplight is watching you while you mine for gold. Pick your nose. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking, do you ever feel invisible? <laughs> it's kind of a, a funny question. Maybe go with me here. Um, I don't mean this in terms of like the, the invisible woman, Sue Storm. I'm not talking like superhero powers. I mean like that feeling, that emotion where you long to be noticed. You long to be recognized. You long to be loved and accepted. And yet there's a void. You're missing that. Hopefully you didn't come this morning and you're not, you didn't make it all the way into this room without being seen. Loved, welcomed, accepted. And if so, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. I really believe that God wants to speak to us this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you need a Bible, you can put your hand up and one of our awesome ushers will be happy to get you one. Or you can follow along on version and your Bible app. Luke chapter 10, we're, we're looking at a parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's probably a parable that you've heard you've looked at, you've read before, but this morning I believe that, that Jesus is going to talk, to speak into those moments where maybe, just maybe, you feel invisible. Because here's the reality. I think there are times where, if we're honest, we long to have our needs known and met. And yet, sometimes, sometimes, those needs, those desires can become unhealthy. They can, they can swing too far where we're only focused on our needs and the fact that they're not being met by other people, by the people around us, by the loved ones around us. To the point where, where we lose focus on even meeting the needs of the other people around us because we're so fixated on, well, I deserve this. I should get this. I should have them do this. They should be doing this for me. Maybe that's true for you. This morning, as we look at this parable, we're going to see Jesus speak into some of these very things. Well, if you don't know me, my name's Eric, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we're in the middle of a series we're calling Parables, because quite frankly, we're not good at naming things. 
and we're looking at some parables of Jesus. So um, Luke chapter 10, we, we see a parable. A parable is, is a short story. It's, uh, it's something that, that mimics the word parallel. It's to put one thing aside another, okay? A, a parallel of sorts to compare, to see the simple truth in the complex uh, short story. It's like a teacher's aid or a thought that's illustrated by way of a story. Well, let's dive in here. I want to just read Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. If you would just follow along with me here. I'm reading out of uh, the extra spiritual version, the ESV. Uh, It doesn't really mean that, but that's what I like to think sometimes. Uh, We're going to read through verse 37. So follow along. Let's see what it says. Uh, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. There's two questions here that this lawyer asks. The first one is, what should I do? Emphasis on the word do. What what should I do in order to inherit eternal life? Well, first and foremost, it's important that you understand who's asking the question. He's a lawyer. We we see that. But the word lawyer here doesn't mean lawyer in terms of what you might think uh, in terms of like TV shows about lawyers today, right? Uh, He's probably not wearing a power suit with a, a really tight Windsor knot, right? He, he's, he's a scribe. He's the person that we talked about last week that we saw uh, with the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. He, this scribe, this lawyer, is somebody who knows the law very well. In fact, they're often used to write commentary to help other people understand the law. This lawyer is probably a very wise, well-read, well-studied man, And in this sense, he really does. It seems that he thinks of himself more highly than he ought. My grandpa would say he's too big for his britches. (laughs) That just means that he's, he's prideful and arrogant about his position. The fact is that he asked the right question. And he even asked it to the right person because he's talking to Jesus. He says here, teacher, 
Teacher, what shall I do in order to inherit eternal life? Can you imagine having the opportunity to ask the Messiah, the the Savior of the world, this question? But notice that he's asking the right person the right question, but he asks it with the wrong motive. Look at the context, the clue that we have here. It says a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Picture this scene, if you will. It's almost as if this lawyer, this, this scribe, is, is there. He's in this scene, in this area where Jesus is at as well. And it's, it's almost as if he like says to all his buddies, hey, guys, <laughs> there's Jesus. We've been talking about this, this question, right? What should we do to inherit eternal life? What, what do we have to do? We've been wrestling it with ourselves, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ask him. And his buddies are like, no, man, don't do it. That's Jesus. He claims to be the son of God. And he's like, no, 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 it's cool. Watch this, watch this. I'm gonna do it. Like goes over, taps him on the shoulder. Excuse me, teacher. And he thinks, he literally thinks that he's going to trap Jesus with this question. But Jesus uses this principle called uh, the Socratic method where he answers a question with a question. Don't you hate it when people do that? Man, moms are like so good at that. You're at dinner, like out at a nice restaurant. The server comes by, clears your plates, lays down the dessert menu, like looks at the kids because they're smart and says, anybody want dessert? What do you do? You look at your parents. Hey, can we have dessert? And then your mom like says, why do you think you need dessert? (laughs) Oh man, I don't know. I just want, you just want some dessert, right? Kids, I'm really sorry. Because now your parents, they're probably going to spend the rest of the summer like thinking about how they can answer your questions with a question. And I just ruined the rest of your summer. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We should pray that your parents listen to the rest of the message and hear something else that God might be saying to them so that they'll forget about that point. Okay, let's move on. All right. (laughs) That's what Jesus does here. He asks the question. He answers the question of the question that he's asked. And he does it beautifully so. Look at the question they ask. The the guy says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? How do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret it? What do you understand the law to say? Because he knows that this man, who he is and the role that he plays, that he's a smart guy, that he's well-read, that he's well-studied. And surely, somebody who has head-level knowledge would understand how to connect it to their life and apply it. And so Jesus has every right to ask him this question. So the man quotes the law. He goes back to the Shema. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He gives a a good answer. I, I can picture him probably like patting himself on the back like, That was sharp. And then, just for good measure, he quotes Leviticus 19, 18. And he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now his answer in context is not wrong. Jesus even says, good job, you answered correctly. But look at what Jesus says. Go and and do this and you shall live. Again, the man's asking an appropriate question to the right person but for wrong motives, for wrong motives. Now notice that the man asked 
what he should do, and Jesus responds by saying, this is what you should do. It's like the doo-doo principle. (laughs) He got himself in in some doo-doo here. What should I do? And Jesus says, go and do this. Do the very thing that you just said you should do by quoting the scripture. Well, here's the reality. The man, he's smart enough to know that, that what he just said, he can't do. It's impossible. It is not possible for him to truly love the Lord with everything that he has and to love his neighbor as himself. Even on his best day, he will fail. He will fall short of that. And falling short of it once means you failed. Means he's not worthy. Now, at this point, in this story, if this story were in the Old Testament, any prophet, any person who were to come across the the Savior at this point of realizing their sinfulness and what Jesus is doing by, by enabling this little debate to happen, And this discussion, the response, the proper response here should be to fall on their face before the Savior and say, Lord, I am not worthy. Forgive me of my sins. To beg for mercy. To say, here I am, all of me, take my life, it's all for thee. To to sing, to to respond in, in contrition, in surrender, in brokenness. But that's not what this man does. Because this man, he is so prideful. He is so arrogant. Look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself. Oh, goodness. The word justify here, it's a, it's a legal term. It's fitting that a lawyer uses a, a legal term. But he's literally asking Jesus to be the judge and to re-render the verdict to rewrite the outcome, saying, hey, change the rule so that I can fit it, so that I can match, so that I can live up to the expectation. Now, Jesus, by saying, go and do likewise, he is not, don't miss this, Jesus is not trying to say some uh, works-based theology. He knew that the man couldn't be perfect. He just wanted to hold up the mirror so that this man would see it himself. And his response is arrogance. It's more pride. It's it's to justify himself. To try to have God tweak his law in order that he might fit to clear himself of guilt, accusation, blame by his evidence or his argument. His pride kept him from receiving salvation. What he knew, his knowledge prevented him from knowing Jesus truly. Did you catch that? His knowledge, what he knows or thinks he knows, prevented him from truly knowing Jesus. How sad. So Jesus changes tactics He tells a story. It's as if Jesus pumps the brakes a little bit and and says, okay, I I can't have this kind of dialogue and debate with this guy. And so he tells him a story. Well, the story that Jesus tells him is is like a crazy story. It's it's the equivalent of like Jesus telling him a really bad joke in in their culture. Like, hey, a, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. 
Like that's how he's setting this up. Like the, the, the guy listening, the lawyer, the scribe listening to this story, he's literally thinking, here's this man that's, that's been beaten and robbed and stripped and has been left for dead. And surely the priest, oh, good and gracious, thank you, Lord, for allowing a priest to, to come by. He's going to save him and rescue this guy, and he doesn't. And then Jesus says he saw him, but he passed, he crossed the street and walked to the other side where it was safe. We didn't have to be near this guy because maybe the people who did this are still here. So I'll cross the street and go on the other side so they don't get me too. And then the Levite, same thing. The Levite, a person who knows the law, crosses the other side, sees the man, sees him stripped, sees that he's robbed, sees that he's beaten, sees him lying there half dead. And he crosses the street. The horror of this picture. And then uh, Jesus says uh, a Samaritan, a person who, who the Jews despised, the last person that this guy would have ever thought would do something. Jesus says he sees him, has compassion, and takes care of his needs. This story is crazy. And look, the, the, the reality, the, the craziness of this whole thing is that when Jesus asked this man, what do you know about the law? How, how do you interpret it? The answer that he gives him is that love the Lord, your God, with everything that you have, with your whole being. So now, fast forward, Jesus tells him this story about loving your neighbor as yourself because the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? Because he's trying to justify himself. So Jesus tells this story about, hey, here's what you've got to do. You've got to love with everything, with your whole being. And he tells this crazy story where somebody, a Samaritan of all people, does just that. It's not enough for the priest and the Levite to just see this man. Before we judge too quickly, let's be honest, you and I do that all the time. I'll prove it to you. You're on Facebook. It's evil. <laughs> You're scrolling. And you see that person that always posts like things that they're in need. Don't name them or whisper, say, if, it, if they're sitting next to you because it's your spouse. Don't sh just. But you, you, you know that person and you see they've put out for all of their social media to see a need and you keep scrolling because you don't want to take the time to read it. Or maybe you're out, you're out driving and you've seen something happen, a car accident or, or a person that's on the side of the road with a flat tire or somebody that's in need, a, a, a homeless person or something. We do it all the time. We, we see them, but we like pretend we don't really see them. Like I'll just keep looking at the stoplight and wait for it to turn green, hoping that I don't have to make eye contact with them. Or maybe when you're approaching that light, you, you get in the other lane at the light because you know that they always stand like right there next to the, your window. We do this. We don't want to connect what we know to our hearts because we know that if it connects to our hearts, then we're going to feel guilty and we're going to have to do something about it. 
See, God has completely created us as whole beings. Our thoughts and what we know are connected to our hearts and what we feel, which are connected to our hands and our feet and how we live in application. It's why Deuteronomy 6.5 was memorized and spoken and put in practice that we are to love the Lord our God with everything as whole, connected beings. And yet we see here a priest who sees this man but doesn't allow it to connect to his heart or his hands. He knows in his head that there's a need there, but he does nothing about it. The Levi, the same thing. The Samaritan man, look what the scripture says in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, the other two, it says, he saw them. And then, when he sees him, stripped, robbed, beaten, half dead, he had compassion. Notice that it doesn't say he felt compassion. Notice it doesn't say he was overcome with empathy. He had compassion, action. He allowed what he knew to connect with his heart in such a way that he went. The very next thing is he went. Action. He went. To allow what you know, even in terms of scripture and of God's word, do you read it in such a way that you would allow it to be in your head, not just to memorize a verse because your small group leader told you to and you want to show up next week and look good and say, hey, I memorized that verse, but do you allow it to connect to your heart, to get in there and to, to, to mess things up, to have compassion that you might do something about it, that you would change the course of your life and how you live. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus, who when he invited his disciples, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And their response is that immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus' own invitation is, is that come and follow me. In order for them to follow Jesus, they had to be able to see him to lock eyes on him, to to see him and to follow him, to even know him on a knowledge base, some kind of level, to know him. And then he says, as you follow me, he says, I will make you, I will transform you. You can't be the same by spending time with Jesus if you really know him. Because he will change your heart. He will transform you. He will make you into something new. And then he gives us a mission. He gets us a a purpose. We get to join him in reaching people for Christ. It's all connected. It's all a part of his plan. And here's the crazy thing. As as we look at like what's the bottom line? What's the the main point? What's the principle that Jesus is teaching here in this parable? I think there's two things. First and foremost is you've got to know Jesus. And not just on a head level as this guy thinks he does. But to come to the point where you surrender your lives to be changed and transformed by him. And when you do, when you do that, Then, look, Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Be a neighbor. 
This guy is, is, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to like feel comfortable. He's, he's so worried about redefining the words of God to fit what he wants that Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. You just be who I want you to be. Be a neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Do you know what being a good neighbor looks like? You gotta wear a red polo shirt and khakis and listen for when people say, like a good neighbor. Not really, that's, sorry, that's not biblical. No, being a good neighbor is somebody who, who sees the needs of those around them and does not cross to the other side to avoid having to get involved. They see the needs, they have compassion, and they go get involved. They serve. They serve. Look, it cost this man, it cost the Samaritan something. Because he was probably on his way to work. He's going to be late. Just like the, the priest and the Levite, they might have thought, like, hey, we can't be involved. We, we've got places to be. We've got things to do. We're important people. Well, the Samaritan, he, he, it give, he gives up his time. It costs him his time. It cost him his seat, his comfortable seat riding on the donkey or the animal that he's on. He, he literally puts the guy where he was. And he takes him to an inn and then it cost him his money. He says to the innkeeper, take care of him. And here's some money and if you need more, when I come back to check on him again the next day, I'll, give, I'll reimburse you for whatever additional cost you, you incur. It cost him something. Are you willing to, to sacrifice for the needs of others? For, for the needs of the people who are around you whose needs you see? Or do you just keep scrolling? Do you just keep driving? Just keep avoiding? Look, here's why this matters. Here's why I think Jesus is, is explaining this in such a way that it, it matters for us. Because, look, first and foremost, Jesus did this for us. He came from heaven to earth because our sins separate us from God. And our response should be just opposite of this man. Not where we justify ourselves, but where we say, oh Lord, forgive us. Because I have fallen short. I cannot uphold your law. I am not perfect. I can't clean myself up. I need a savior. Thank you, God, for sending your one and only son to take my place to pay the price that I deserved, that I would have new life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus modeled this. He did it. He put his money where his mouth is. He practiced what he preached. And even more than that, when you read through the Gospels, you can see time and time and time again where Jesus saw a need. He's in a crowd of people. He's got his disciples gathered around him. He sees a person. They have a need. Scripture says time and time again that he has compassion and he acts. He models it. He did it and then he lives it out. Why? For us. So that we too can live and love like Jesus. He knows us. 
He loves us. He gave his life for us. And we see how he modeled it. We are to be a neighbor. This week, here's the application. Here's what I would love. Nothing more than for me and you to try and practice. Meet a need. See a need. This week. And don't see it and cross to the other side of the street. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't have time to get involved. But, but step in. Be a neighbor. Be a good neighbor to someone in need. Look, I, I realize, I asked you guys at the beginning of the, the time together that, you know, do you ever feel invisible? If we're honest and if we're raw th- this morning, there are times for sure. Maybe some of you are having a time right now where you just feel lonely. You feel invisible. You, you're, you feel like all you're focusing on is, is the needs that you have, the, the needs that aren't being met. If they would just do this, then I would feel better. And, and you, you, that's your focus. That's your perspective. And yet I promise you that if you would allow God through, through studying this passage, through being in his word, through shifting your perspective, I, I guarantee you that if this week you see a need that somebody has and you say, God, I am equipped for this, and you step in, you see, you know, you, head, heart, hands, I, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to have compassion. You might not in the moment, your, your emotion, your might, main emotion might be like, run, <laughs> no thanks, but have compassion, the same compassion that Christ Jesus himself had. Step in, act. And I guarantee that in doing so, your worries, the things that you've been focused on, they will fade away. And at the same time, at the very same time, God will begin to transform your heart. You'll have a, a new satisfaction of, of being on mission with him that he's using you. And look, please don't hear me. I'm not just talking about like doing more humanitarian efforts. No. But to live and love like Jesus. To know him, to be changed and transformed by him and to be on mission with him, to serve with him. That's what it's about. I'm gonna invite the praise team to come back up. We're gonna sing a song in just a moment called Take My Life. And around the room will be some people who would love nothing more than to pray with you. Maybe you're like terrified, like Pastor Eric, please don't ask me to do this. I really don't wanna do that. I know. (laughs) I don't want to either. But the reality is that just like Jesus at the end here, he asks this man in verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Look what, look what his response is. The lawyer, he couldn't even utter the words, the Samaritan. He, he, he won't call him by who he is. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, then you go and do likewise. The emphasis here, the word you go, it's, it's mimicked, it's paralleled in the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The word go is the same word 
go that Jesus says here. And it's not like go out and reach the world, like exhaust yourself by going everywhere and being all things to all people. It's, it's the, the different theory. It's as you go along the way, on the route in which you're already going. Do you think there's someone in your workplace, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family who might just might have a need that you've been equipped to help meet, to walk alongside, to be the hands and feet of Christ? Look, there are opportunities around you. It's an incredible thing that we have the unique privilege and opportunity to be at work with Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these passages, for stories that we know that maybe are familiar, and yet, God, for new truths that we might see as your Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture to us. God, would we be obedient this week? Would you equip us to have your eyes to see people the way that you see them, to feel compassion the way that you feel compassion, and God, to act in a manner worthy of how you might act. Lord, I pray that this week we might do for one person what we wish we could do for them all. Lord, would you help us? Would you equip us in that? As we sing, Lord, continue to speak to us. Drive this deeper into our hearts and into our minds. God, that we might act and be obedient to what you're asking us to do. We love you, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So the question is, if you were to allow me this week to follow you around with a video camera, and we're going to look for opportunities that next Sunday we would show a highlight video of your week, the opportunities that you took to see a need and to act upon them, which story would yours follow? Would you be the priest, the Levite, or the Good Samaritan, the neighbor? I promise you there are opportunities that you have if you're willing to look, to see them, to step in. And it's going, it's going to cost you something for sure. But even in the fact that it costs you something, will point people to Jesus. Not us, not, hey, look what I did, but him, look what he did. It's different. That it might cost you uh, time, your money, sure. Maybe your reputation. But it's worth, it's worth it to point them to Christ, to not miss an opportunity. We, we want, we say we want to be disciples who make disciples who live in love like Jesus. That's not just like a cool thing that we want to put on the walls of our church. That's actually what we want to be. Not to do, but to be. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you help us in that? This week, God, one person to see a need, to step in, to be difference makers for you and your kingdom's sake, your glory, Lord, not our will, not for our glory, not for our name, but for yours. God, would you help us not to miss the opportunities, not to be a priest or a Levite, but God, to be a good neighbor who sees a need, 
who feels compassion and who acts according to the, the gift that you've given us, according to the grace that that person deserves, just as how we would want someone to do for us. God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in and through us as we live on mission for you. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.